Hello, happy new year and welcome to the first Our Generation on air of 2022. Uh, I hope the festive period has been a good one for you and your fantasy football teams. And it's been an interesting one for QPR. After taking a few games off, we were back in action against Bournemouth on Monday and lost in rather disappointing circumstances to the Cherries yet again. Uh, and then we took on Bristol and won in rather fortunate circumstances last night. So also the transfer window is open and QPR are looking set to sign at least one player already. And they've also been holding talks with yet another club regarding an attacking midfielder. Joining me to talk all this through and to preview Birmingham as well is two podcast regulars. We've got Dan Lambert, and Lucas Ross. Guys, welcome. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Welcome back. Evening, fellas. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Fantastic. So um, just before we start, uh, I thought we'd kick off 2022 with a little bit of trivia. Just something that just to throw you entirely. Um, and I want you to just think about this question and we'll come back to it at the end of the show. Uh, but which former QPR player will also be joining up with Ozzy Kakai in the Sierra Leone squad for AFCON? So just, just think about that. I didn't know about this until about five minutes before I came on and I was looking at Facebook. So, <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm have to wrap my brains here. I'll tell you what, it's a curveball. It really is. Um, so, uh, as we mentioned, um, we came back to action with Bournemouth on Monday at home. Um, as I already explained to these guys, I didn't manage to be at the game. I haven't watched the full 90 minutes. So, this is all on these two. Uh, so, let's hand over. Like, how did it go? <laughs> um, we, we, were, we were rusty, really. Um, <clears throat> I wouldn't say we deserved the win. Um, we started okay. Then um, we were touching it more, but Keith Stroud had his uh, had his moment, and then yeah, we just didn't really look like we were we were ever going to score all game, to be honest. I'll put it this way: we got we got absolutely strouded. Um, okay, it we didn't play well. It's not the worst performance I've seen us this season, but I think the squalid level of refereeing if you like really did not help matters at all and it was it was it was a frustrating watch made even more frustrating by the lackluster refereeing and um um Bournemouth were on their game a lot more than us I think the um I think the lack of recent match day action really proved costly for us and yeah, it was just it was just one of those games which was quite frustrating to be honest. Yeah, so I think the two the thing that you've touched on there that's sort of <clears throat> jumping out at me is the resumption from having a couple of weeks off. Now we saw this uh the first time round that COVID affected games a couple of seasons ago when we came back. Before we left for that break, we were in a pretty promising position. We come back and we were woeful, like we were lost. That team was so confused as to what they were meant to be doing. And it was, I don't know what's happened, but there seems to be a bit of a 
I don't think it, the culture is the right word, but obviously there's, you know, when we have extended breaks, there's a bit of a, you know, a hangover, I guess, from the, these things when we're not playing regularly, not training perhaps in the best way. I'd actually be really interested to find out from Warburton and whoever, like how much training, what sort of training they were actually doing with the limited players, because, you know, you can't work on absolutely everything, but you've got a small amount of players available, I would assume. So let's take it back to the start of the game. Um, Chair and Dieng make the squad after endless speculation going back to the start of the season, whether they'd be available after their teams have qualified for AFCON. What did we think of the team? Any sort of contentious picks in that eleven? Oh, I think... <clears throat> Go on, Luke, sorry. Go on. I think... Um... I think rushing Wallace back in was interesting. Um, the fact that he didn't last the full 90 was um, was a bit of a concern, um, let's put it that way, because the games he's played, he's been fabulous, but um, he's literally played um, one, two, three, four, five. He's literally played... Prior to Monday, he played se- he's played seven games all season. He's been injured for... He's been injured for about four months, so... I think it was very interesting having him in from the word go. I think Kakai really gave me flashbacks of when he got picked apart in the reverse fixture. Um, and I was quite critical of that. Um, nothing against Kakai, of course, works really hard. But against a team like Bournemouth especially, it's just one of those things, really. Um, so Kakai was was interest was an interesting inclusion, that's for sure. Um, anyone else of note? Um, I think Dieng and Cheb, it's good to see them make the side, especially after they've had their AFCON departure delayed by a week. Um, but I think um, it was good to see Dykes back. Perhaps I'd have liked to have seen him be included from the bench. I think having not seen him be included in the matchday squad since back end of October um, and, having, and having him start immediately was interesting to say the least. Um, I don't think he lasted the full 90 minutes unless I'm mistaken. Um, Dan, did he last the full 90 minutes? Remind me. I've got the two and he did. Yeah. yeah, he did. He did. He did. Yeah. He did. Um, yeah. Maybe I think I would have brought him on from like the hour mark. Um, I think chair was good to see him in. Same, same with Will, obviously, Field, I'm relieved he didn't play left wing back like he did against Stoke, and that didn't end well. But yeah, I think it was it was a pretty good team. Um, so just and really Wallace with... and Kakai that's perhaps issues. The the thing with Wallace is that yeah we've got no other wing back who could play in the left really. Uh, with Odebajo still injured, McCallum injured. I think we suggested Dan specifically has suggested a couple of times Barbe at left wing back, which isn't you know the worst thing you could possibly do. We've rushed Wallace back before and we saw against Derby that he got, you know, he got that injury and perhaps it would have been, you know, a lot more worrying for us had we not had the, the two games off because of COVID. Um, Dan, what did you think of the team? Was it sort of what you would expect from from us at this stage? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> sorry. I mean... I agree with um, with Lucas a little bit. Um, Kakai was the main one for me. I think um, Adoma was on the bench and I think Warburton after the game said that he didn't want to rush him back. Well, I mean, 
I mean, that's fair enough. He's all into the sports science stuff and the, the fitness, but um, the, we'll touch on it later, I'm sure. But Adoma made such a difference, pinning Bournemouth a lot, a lot deeper into their half. Um, Kakai just doesn't have that attacking quality for me. We'll go, you're touching it now. How, how much of a difference did Adoma make? <clears throat> uh, well, he was probably our, get our game changer, if you like, even though we didn't win the game. Um, I mean, he came on, I think, Zamora had quite, quite a game generally anyway. Um, and he, I beat him a few times, 1v1. And then eventually, I think, the last 10 minutes, they, I think they doubled and tripled up on him because he was probably our biggest biggest threat from the wide areas. So, no, he did definitely make a big difference. The other thing that you've said there about um, he's, Warburton's big on the old sports science... Looking at the Bristol City game, and we will go into more depth in this later, but purely mentioning Bristol City substitutes, two subs, Dykes in the 60th minute, Thomas in the 85th. I was furious at home with the, with the amount of injuries we've had, the COVID suspensions, the lack of, you know, the rustiness in the side. And he will, like other managers, no doubt moan about fixture congestion. I thought, why are you making two subs? And why are you making one of them in the 85th minute? I know we only well, five, he, he brought, he brought subs. on the 70th minute and I thought, you're giving him 20 minutes to make an impact on the game. Yeah. <clears throat> At least bring him on the 60th minute. It was, it was for me, it was pretty blatantly obvious that Adoma would make a difference compared to Kakai, at least from, from 45 minutes on. So I don't understand what the hesitance was about him not putting him on any earlier. Walton's always had a hesitance to subs though and I, it's something that has frustrated me throughout the whole sort of time that he's been at the club. Um, so let's look at Bournemouth's missed chances. They had three very good chances. The Anthony one is shocking. You've mentioned Solanke. This is a bit sort of if, buts, maybes, whatever. But like, do, you, do we not think they deserved perhaps to, I don't know, it, did they deserve to win the game based on the chances they created? Or is it a case of, they should have. They had plenty of chances. They should have put them away. Um, I think they deserve probably a bigger scoreline. Scoreline, if I'm being honest. I think they're they're a very well coached side for, for, and they have a lot of quality. I mean, they attacked us in as a as almost like a five v five. I think they they pushed. Who did they push? Oh, Lewis Cook. They pushed Lewis Cook and Philip Billing quite um, into quite advanced areas. And they were just very fluid in, in, in an attacking sense. I think Cook played right wing at points. Christie came inside. They're just moving us all over the place. They're, they're, not, they're not a bad side whatsoever. And I think them and Fulham should still pretty much fly away in the league. Well, you think anyway. Well, you say they're not a bad side. I believe they are first. So they're, you know. Yeah, yeah. As it, as it goes, pretty good. Um, Lucas, what do you think about their sort of finishing? Did they Ooh. deserve a bigger scoreline, as Dan suggests? It was questionable, to say the least, because um, their goal was very poor defending, but with that, with all said and done, it was quite a good header. Um, so their goal was poor defending, and um, I think they had quite a few easier chances, which they managed to uh, mess up quite Fabulously, um, I think. I think the Solan- the Solanke and Anthony chances, which were both basically open goal misses, they both um, come straight to the psyche um, as to how they were missed. Um, I think 
on I think on another day they score all three of those. Um, I, I think one nil was quite fortunate. I think it should have been something like two nil, three one, something like that. Um, we've already mentioned him. Um, we know what he's about. We've seen what he's done to us before. Keith Stroud, apparent professional referee. Um, how bad was it? Terrible. Absolutely. Yeah, pretty bad. Pretty bad. Poetry standard of refereeing. So what how was the it? man has been a referee for over two decades, I think, is beyond me. What is it in um, particular? Because he's a very peculiar referee in the sense that he's very finicky about certain things, lets a lot of things go, and then just obviously has his moments where he sort of reinvents the rules of football on the spot, which is a nice well, way how... of saying he doesn't have a clue and he just doesn't get the right call often enough. Yeah, I put that put said lightly. I mean, how Jefferson Lama did not come away with a yellow card at least. I do not understand. I mean, it was the the free kick was the one that really got me got me annoyed. I mean, Sam Fields got the ball for one, and then he gets a yellow card on top of a free kick. I mean, uh, yeah, it was. Uh, you still got to defend the set piece. I'm not. I'm sure we'll get into that in a minute, but just some some of the decisions were laughable. I think there was after the game, Lerma rolled around four times after Johansson made a tackle or something like that. Uh, they just, they, yeah, they were just very. Yeah, it was basically Keith Stroud was supporting Bournemouth pretty much. And then there was, there was a penalty thing. appeal, perhaps, was there for us? Handball? Um, yeah, I, I, I haven't seen the replay. I mean, I was, I'm was i behind that goal and it looked like it was a, either a kick or a push. But, uh, I mean, you'd, you'd have thought with the decisions that he made that whole game, we probably could have got away with the penalty. But I don't, I don't know, to be honest. Yeah. Mm. Lucas, you it's, were sort it's of in, so-so. It, it's on interesting. It? It's interesting to say the least because, because um, his thing, the, the stats when he when I found out it was ref in that game, the stats were against us like this. Um, because he's he's refed every Bournemouth game. He's every Bournemouth game he's ref. Bournemouth have won bar one. Um, and we've lost most of the games that he's ref. He was he's from Bournemouth. Supports Luton, um, so it it was just pretty much against us from minute one. The fact and we and we just and we just knew that he'd make decisions in Bournemouth's favour because he, he's let us down before very badly. I remember I, I had a go at him after one game after his questionable decisions. Um, Sheffield Wednesday in the cup two years ago, I had a go at him after the game for his questionable decisions. Um, I think. He's one of the worst refs around. How he's still in the job is beyond me. Um, and I think um, Dazelle getting sent off, questionable. The free kick which led to their goal, never a free kick. Good tackle. Um, um, Lerma well, the, the, at least the thing got you brought up there, actually, Lucas, was pretty good stats digging from Clive Whitnam at Loft Words about the how many games that he's refed Bournemouth and they've won like all of them. And he's born in Bournemouth. Like you said, apparently sports Luton. He does because he's asked not to officiate any of their games. Lucky Luton. (laughs) (laughs) I'd play Luton every week now. (laughs) Um, But is it not a little 
I mean, are we just putting two and two together and making a big deal out of this? Or is it not just a little bit suspect that someone that was born in that area? <laughs> it's just, it's a bit weird though, isn't it? Like, it is weird. It's a, it's a different one. Cool one. You can't at this point. There's not the fact that he's what refereed twelve Bournemouth games. He's not not really going to do much about it now, are we? It's a bit. It's almost a bit. It's a bit too late. But it's it's suspect and it's it's just depressing because every time you see Keith Strouds on your on your game, you know just something's going to go wrong, no matter mm-hmm. what. And the so, thing is, yeah. the thing is with that is, like, I don't think there's anything sort of really suspicious I guess about it it's just he but it's just one of these things isn't it you can't just help wonder about it um but I think Clive did suggest that having looked at his record in fact with Bournemouth having looked at what he's done with us already this season whether there was sort of a a lack of referees due to Covid because the Bristol City game we were meant to have Andy Woolmer, but that got changed yeah. last minute because of a COVID issue. So Can we have him again. <laughs> yeah, we nearly we, we will get on to that one. Um, but you know, like surely they could have looked at it, the EFL, and just thought maybe we don't give him yet enough. Uh, but they do, don't they? They just give him all the high-profile games, TV games that big sides big games, games that actually matter a lot. And he always has a way of just, as you said, shrouding it up, really. Exactly. And I'm just checking who our ref is tomorrow. Just just going down all the way to the bottom. I think we would have heard about Um, it if it was Keith Stroud. Yeah, it's not Keith Stroud. He's not on this week's um, refereeing games. He Um, deserves a week off. um, We've got David Webb. Um, um, the ref Keith, Keith Stroud is refing Blackburn Huddersfield, though. Oh. Is it? Yeah, well, RIP Blackburn Huddersfield. Um, unlucky. The goal, then you've said it's poor defending. Anything else about it? Um, well, it's a so I find it not a slightly odd setup. We've, we've obviously got mainly man to man and then. Takai is kind of standing zonally and he's not the wall but he's like standing in front of where the the bunch are but then we don't track the run of Solanke for one and then Kakai doesn't make the header to to prevent the free header for Solanke so it's just all a it's just all a big cock up really okay and lastly, good, good head good header in fairness sorry good header in fairness and lastly on the um Bournemouth game red card that whole sort of debacle at the end. What do we think? Pro, I, I, it's, it's definitely a second yellow for Dazelle. That was just a bit needless. I mean, it pretty heat at the moment stuff, but yeah, I didn't, I didn't see the the, the scrap. I was on the other end of the, the stadium, but I think I saw Lerma kick the ball to our, to to my end to waste time. But it was just all, apparently Solanke said post match that the last ten minutes they were just trying to. To um, slow down the game, right? Well, you know, I can believe that they're just—they've got Ben Pearson. I mean, when you buy someone like that, you're just admitting to being a boring, crappy shit house team. When you have Ben Pearson, whose mum stopped going to his games because he kept on getting booked so much. 
mean, you know, what can I say? Like, they do get fined for getting yellows, don't they? Yeah, like 18, 19, he got 14 yellows, three reds. That just says everything. Shocking. Anyway, moving on, we had uh, a game against Bristol City and it ended in much nicer circumstances. The Twitter take from this game was that we played really poorly and that we were woeful. Did you, would you agree with that sentiment? First off, first off especially, I would. Um, I didn't, I only managed to watch the last 10 minutes because Sky was playing up down my end. Um, but from what, from what I saw and from bit some replays, first half, we were absolutely hideous. Um, second half wasn't much better. We, we get a penalty, which I reckon Keith Stroud does not give. Um, and then second half, I think, it gets better. Um, we, we, I think either the goal sparked us into life or we got absolutely shafted at half time by Mark Warburton. And then into the second half, um, it, it, it gets better. Um, and we start, we start to defend well, play some good football. And then we win the corner in the 92nd minute. And obviously the rest is history. Um, do, we, do we deserve the win? If I'm going to be brutally honest, probably not. But I think we, we was definitely worthy of at least a draw, I reckon. We, we was really poor second half, but better. No, really poor first half, but but better second half. And I think we we did enough to earn a point at least. Obviously, um, the rest is history. We got all three. Um, and, but yeah. And what was your thoughts on the game? Um. Yeah, like Lucas said, I thought we were quite passive first half. Uh, our average positions were quite deep, actually. Wallace, especially, he wasn't really bombing up and down the uh, the left the left hand side as usual. I thought Bristol this Bristol City sorry did well first half. They pressed us quite um, pressed us quite well. They they were given far too much time on the ball, especially when they were just switching the play constantly, trying to trying to find a breakthrough. Um, penalty. Was a it was a penalty. I thought um, I'll take that and run all day for the for the first half performance. Was it the was it in the first half they had a penalty appeal? Was Possibly. it the, No, I think I they think, they had one in the second half. Was it? I can't remember exactly. One, there was, was one where the ball went over the, the top half. for Alex Scott. I think and that was a stonewall penalty. I thought for them. Oh, was it when? Um, oh no, yeah. Um, yeah, the done. ball went over the top. It was done, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, that was that was definitely a penalty for me. Um, so we got away with that one, but no, we went in one or half time, and then second half was improved, but we weren't really anywhere near our best still. Yeah, I don't think we were absolutely terrible, but I thought it was just too mm. passive at times. Like at the start of the game, just allowing them to pass the ball about, not really getting out to them. I know we don't press, but you can at least close players down. And well, we, we, didn't we have... decided to press. We decided to press after after ten men. <laughs> but the thing is, like, we don't this time, right? And this isn't something that we'll bring up later on. But we had three in midfield, so we can't argue about being overrun in midfield. There should be no excuses for for the way we played at the start of the game. Um, one of the things that I really noticed was, and it was sort of similar, you know, like think back to last season, Nico Hamilton got absolutely torn apart for just not being able to defend and not letting crosses come in. Um, and I'm not wanting abuse on Albert Adoma, but he didn't play very well at all defensively. And uh, it's Calamo Dowder, isn't it? 
so. He had his number yeah. all game. Ad- Adoma didn't stop one cross from him. He couldn't get close to him at all. He, he was... A, he, it was a, you know... That was Bristol City's main attacking threat down that left-hand side. And they really took advantage of it. Because Adoma just didn't... He didn't really contribute, to be honest. Um, and it, it was just very passive. And I thought, what do we think of the goal? Because I thought, looking back on it, maybe... You know, it clearly takes a deflection. But we had three players closing down or trying to close down um, their striker. And then the ball comes free off Dickie's head. Do we think this is just bad positioning from us? It was it was unlucky from the deflection. I thought, I think it was a, a little bit earlier on from the move you described. I think it was, I can't remember. We, I think we did get opened up quite easily down the right-hand side. Um, but the goal, I think it deflected off Dick, uh, Dunn twice, once once before, once when it fell to the striker, and then once when, um, or Scott, and then once when it went in. Um, bit unlucky, but it was it was a slow start anyway, so it was kind of really what we deserved. Yeah, it never felt, we, the way we sort of surrendered possession, it always felt that that was where it was going. It was leading to them taking advantage, and it was a classic QPR start this season been slow in the opening minutes and just letting them take at least one of their chances. Um, you know, they, they could have been 3 0 up, couldn't they? Dieng makes a fantastic yeah, save. But what Semenya, I was impressed with. Um, yeah. First half, he was, he was a nuisance, nuisance to our defence. I mean, did he miss that one where it went slightly wide? The cross came in, things were out Dowder again. Mm. Cross came in and then he, uh, he missed it um, wide of the post. I think that was the chance, but um, yeah, no, they they could have been two or three out. Yeah, Lucas, what do you think of their chances? I mean, it's another Ooh. one, one of these sort of again, the, the Bournemouth one, Bournemouth perhaps deserved the you know, on the balance of play, a bigger result. Did Bristol City de- not deserve because I don't know, it's a weird thing because Dieng makes a fantastic save, but did they maybe deserve to get something else in those opening stages? Oh, I think. If I think if we go in half time two one down, we can't complain because um, from what from what I read on Twitter, I, obviously I didn't watch the first half. Um, from what I read on Twitter, that that first half was supposed to be shocking, um, and then I think yeah, I think we could we could well we I think we got quite lucky. The thing is though, like I don't. <laughs> there was times in that first half, and this is why I don't think we were utterly terrible, where we were just. We would attack or, you know, break or whatever. And we would open them up quite easily without really getting out of second gear. Like, we didn't really get going, but there's still like loads of space. And I thought, you know what, we're better than them. We're much better than these lot. And we could definitely win the game still. So I never felt like we were out of it. And as we see, Bristol City eventually fade from the game, um, resulting in a last minute winner. Um Dan, did you say that you didn't think it was a penalty? I won. No, no, I, I, I okay. did. I did. No, I did. Yeah, because it's absolutely Stonewall. It's um, what's his name? King, isn't it? Ex-Leicester player. Very exper- experienced player. Don't know what he's doing. Amos gets kind of the right side, but then he just barges him in, in the box. And it's, it's utterly bizarre. I don't think you could have any complaints against that. Perhaps, like you said, the only thing that they could be aggrieved about is the fact that we 
didn't they didn't get one for a very similar sort of thing at the other end earlier in the half, in the first half. Uh, but talking about penalties, are we a little bit relieved that Austin managed to sort of rectify his poor penalty form? Yeah, no, it was a good. It was a good penalty to be fair. And then what the I think didn't he do some like shit or celebration after it? And you think mm-hmm. you're thinking in the back of your head, you're thinking it's great, but we've just scored a penalty after a poor half, and this could go this could go wrong. But um, no, thankfully it didn't. Yeah, he's done I that think... quite a few times this season, hasn't he? The first time I noticed it was against Everton, but he's done it every time he's scored since. And well, he's been getting a lot of stick from away fans recently. A lot of chance coming his way. Yeah, <clears throat> I won't oh. repeat them on the pod, but yeah, yeah. Right. Oh, I didn't fans especially didn't really know that, but I kind of thought when he did it, I was like, "Why are you doing that?" Because we're just, you're just going to make us like a twat at one point. It's going to come back and bite us at some point. It really will. Um, well, it did against um, Stoke, didn't it? From well, from Derby fans at least, anyway. Right, yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't know. It's it's one of these things, isn't it? It, it seems like he needs to sort of have a little bit of never. We never needed to have that before. I just, I just, I, I would. Well, it's not bottling it up, but like I, I think as a, as a footballer, you've kind of got to just. People are going to abuse you at times. And it's obviously not right, but mm. especially on the pitch, it's one of these things that you've just got to play through. Exactly. In, in, you know, within reason, like obviously if it's racist abuse or something like that, if they're basically just saying you're shit, like <laughs> there's nothing really wrong with that, to be honest. It's just, um, but yeah, I think he's at, at some point it's going to make us look stupid. Yeah. I, I, I think it will come back. I think it's going to come back to bite us at some point. I think, it was a really well-hit penalty, just like the good old days. And um, I think the celebration as well was, <laughs> it was it was funny to say the least. But yeah, he, he's I think he's got to be careful on that one. And then, you know, we had a sending off in the Bournemouth game and now Bristol City had a sending off. It wasn't really the game-changing thing that I thought it was going to be, but it, would, it certainly didn't hurt having them go down to 10 men, did it? No, no, it didn't hurt. To be honest, I completely forgot King was on a yellow card beforehand when he when he got out the, the red card. I was just I was shocked. But um, no, to be fair, Bristol City played all right with um, all right with ten men. They didn't have the same the same threat as um, in the first half. But no, they they were they they tried to hold on to the lead, which I think was their aim. So obviously, this game ends with a lovely ending for QPR fans. Johan Barbe gets up to meet a Stefania Hansen corner. Um, and it, it was something actually that I'm going to give, I'm not going to give credit, I'd say, but my dad had been saying throughout the whole game with all our corners, they need to be whipped in with a bit more pace and a sl- bit lower because all the crosses that we're putting in are a bit too floaty. It's allowing the keeper to come out and get it. And sure enough, at the end of the game, whip one in, Barbe makes a really intelligent run and it's a fantastic header. So, and then, you know, cue scenes. So how did it feel? How did you enjoy it? Did we deserve it? Um, I have to apologise to my neighbours. I, I did scream the house down. Um, it, it was totally worth it for what they did at our place. Absolutely robbed us. Um, good good header, like you say. Barbe um, made the near post run and flicked it on. 
I have to say, though, I don't know how Bristol City didn't have any men on the post. They, they, they had no men on the post. And you'd have thought if they had a man on the post that they'd have at least had a chance of, I don't know, stopping it from going in. I thought that was criminal in itself. But, um, I mean, I'm not complaining at the end of the day. But um, I'm pretty sure a few of Johansson's crosses or corners earlier on in the game, or Adomas at least, didn't actually make the, um, beat the first man. So I wasn't going into it like very optimistic, but well, we that have was a, a great way to... We have a crossing curse. Yeah. I don't think yeah. it's sort of widely as covered on things as much as other sort of well, it's failings. Dipped. But Adomas has dipped, hasn't it, since what, the Adomas, last five, six games? It seems like anyone that comes into the side and starts, instantly their crossing ability just goes downhill. It, it is really bizarre because we're a side that creates a hell of a lot of chances. And, uh, well, apparently we do. It never feels like that a lot of the time, but apparently we create a lot of chances because I guess a cross, a crap cross is still a chance. <laughs> but in the ground at the game, it doesn't feel like that. Uh, but we do have a crossing curse on us. And I, I don't know who it, who's put it on us, but can they, can it please stop? Um, one thing, oh, actually, uh, this is not off topic entirely, but you know, obviously, we had it was on the red button, the Bristol City game, and you get the single sky commentator, which I always think is a pretty, it's a pretty difficult job because commentary you're bound always bouncing off someone, no one ever wants to listen to just one person talk about a game. And I thought he actually did a pretty good job in comparison with other ones because we've had it before when um commentators have basically just waxed lyrical about the opposition and just ignored the fact that we're playing in the game however at one point he did say i don't know who it was i think it was a bristol city player who got caught offside and he said that he got caught on the wrong side of the flag of doom i yeah. can't can't even remember that it went under the radar because I don't think I was watching that. If it was four eighty minutes, I wasn't. God, he said it, and I thought that is the most Alan Partridge thing going. Um, it was he got caught on the wrong side of the flag of doom. Yeah, it was, uh, and then he quickly moved on, and I, I think it it went so under the radar because something happened straight away afterwards that he had to like you didn't have a moment to process it. But I was sitting there thinking, did he actually just say that? But it. You know, he he definitely did, and you know what? Fair play, because that is <laughs> when when you have to commentate on games like that by yourself, you just come up with anything just to fill the space, don't you? Um, last thing before we move on to our transfers or sort of pending transfers with the with chair disappearing uh, to Afcon for the next couple of weeks. Do we think that the side that we put out against Bristol City is a much more balanced side and it's a bit more that we should be taking advantage of this situation and playing the midfielders as we, as we are playing them now? What, the 5-3-2? The five, yeah. Um, I'm going to say no. Um, I didn't think there wasn't really a link between the midfield and attack, I thought. Um I might want to mention this in a minute, but I thought George Thomas should have come far, far earlier. Um, I mean, even in the 10, what, 10, five, 10 minutes he got, I thought he just added that bit of energy. 
bit of movement. We didn't really stretch stretch Bristol City um, defence much. I thought Willock also was quite quite quiet for, um, for his usual self. Um, so I'm not sure if we go to a um, a three five or five three two or a three five two. Um, it just it, it relies on us going a bit more direct, which I'm not sure suits us too well. Well, the thing is with this is that I feel like we get overrunning in midfield a lot of the time, and it's basically because we have to get Willock and Chair inside. They both work hard, but they don't provide the defensive cover that having Amos and uh, Field does, and it allows Johansson perhaps to play better as well. This releases him to do a few more things, and it just means that you know players. So Johansson can get can be pressing; he can go forward a bit more. Amos also can do his pressing and is a bit more energetic and doesn't have to worry about sort of tracking back because behind them, Field is there or Don Ball, whoever is just mopping up behind. I and I just think it's like I just think it makes it a lot easier for them in the middle. Yeah, I can see. I mean, I thought Phil personally had a sloppy game at times. I thought he dispossessed a few times. I don't know. It's just, I think we do, we're very attack and attack minded side. We, our, the predominant force in our side is goals. Um, obviously, we le- we leak quite heavily at times. So I'm not sure if I really want to change. I know it doesn't really change it as much, but I think it's game dependent also. I think at times if we want to control the game, dictate the game, then we might add another midfielder, play your hands and higher. But at that point, we well, we weren't chasing, well, we were chasing the game to an extent to win. But also, we didn't really have the possession, much possession of the ball, or at least it didn't feel like we were controlling the game against Bristol City for the for the extra midfielder. So I think it just it depends on a game by game basis for me. Okay, uh, fair enough. And yes, absolutely, George Thomas should have been brought on much earlier. He should have started the game for God's sake. He's a fantastic player. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just that, that point about made about the substitutes. It's just too late, too little, not giving him enough time to actually impact the game and you're not actually resting any players by bringing someone on in the last five minutes. They've played the majority of the game. Bring them on in 60 minutes minimum. And then after that, you know, that 60 minutes for your first sub. And then after that, it, see if what happens, if it doesn't, nothing's really changed and you have to make a change. I thought he should have come on for Austin and played up front because he makes, yeah, he makes some good said- attacking runs. Thomas, yeah, and, uh, he, he, uh, they never get picked. People don't, if you watch him, he makes some decent runs, but they don't pass it to him because quite often he's on the pitch at the same time as Chair and Willock. So they get picked out first because that's the way we play. That you go from the back, bypass the sort of Johansson and Field, whoever's in midfield a little bit, and they go straight to Chair and Willock. And then Chair and Willock have to do something. Whereas Tom Thomas is actually making runs doesn't get picked out and then looks like he's doing nothing but he's creating some space he's at least doing something and he's got that little bit of pace which we and lack energy energy yeah i mean I, I don't i don't really don't understand the hate towards him i honestly don't he's not i'm not i'm not i'm not say, sitting here saying he's a he's a first choice starter because he's not going to get in the, the team ahead of Cheryl willock but some some of the some of the abuse the criticism he gets is is pretty disrespectful for someone that oh, I don't know. He isn't he isn't really featured much, but not everyone notices he makes runs off the ball. Not everyone notices his energy. Most most fans just care about the goals and the assists and that that kind of. He's never played of enough to actually get in that 
you know, Willock took ages to score his first goal, didn't he? When I saw yeah, him play against yeah. Stoke, yeah, like three and, and a half months, and Reading, I thought he was poor. Like he definitely, uh, no, he maybe carried the ball and showed what he could potentially be like, but he wasn't fantastic. Um, yeah, and I, I, I think, think, no, go ahead, Lucas. I think Reading, I think Reading, especially with Willock, springs to mind. Oh, are we talking about last season or this season? Right? Last season, um, yeah. Oh, <laughs> two games we were allowed I in think, the stadium. Oh, oh, oh yeah. Um, because I, I, I saw, I saw that Stoke match in person, and I thought, um, obviously the first time I'd seen quite a lot of that team play live, um, Willock especially, and I think it was interesting for sure to see, and especially as to how poor we were back then. We had the likes of. Tom Carroll, Hamelainen, and then pre-Austin Dykes. Um, there's no Charlie Austin. Um, we still have Bright say Samuel. Um, and I think Willock, he was a bit, he was a bit shy on confidence. Um, and I think, I think he needed a sort of like barber figure to come in and just help guide the way a bit. And I think that's what Austin did with quite a bit of the team, Dykes and Willock especially. Because since Austin's come in, they've just gone from strength to strength. Yeah, so I don't, I don't think um, you know Thomas just doesn't played enough to be criticised fairly. Is the point that I think me? And I don't Dan... think he's done much wrong. No. Um, apart from, all right, he's missed. He missed the chance against um, was it Stoke? Um, he created three chances in the space of five minutes. Yeah, M- more than more than. But the thing is, that it's bizarre, isn't it? There's a desire to hate your own player. I think we, you know, last last time we did a podcast, we put together the worst 11 QPR have possibly put together in our lifetimes. And it featured the likes of Basingua, Corker, these players that came in and rinsed us for basically just the money. But, you know... Thomas isn't doing that. He's just a squad player. He's had bad injuries. He didn't go as well as he would have liked it at Leicester. Um, he's probably not championship starter quality. He could grow into that, certainly. But why would you hate your own player when he doesn't... <laughs> all he does is try. I don't, it, doesn't, it doesn't make sense. It'd be like hating Jamie Mackey. Jamie Mackey was a low-quality player who just worked his socks off for, mm. for us. And ended up getting quite a few goals in a good team, and exactly. And I think lots of fans Thomas loved well, him. Yeah, Why can't Thomas you just? I just don't get it. It's bizarre. Uh, no, Nathan, Nathan Curran hating him. I'll, I'll keep banging the drum. It is it, it, questionable. That's for sure. I think um, um, he he start for someone like at this level. I think he'd start for like Peterborough or something. Um, but I think he, he's an all right player, and I think give him the service and. On, on his day, he'll provide. Anyway, I'd like to call an end to this current meeting of the G- George Thomas Appreciation Society for this week. Um, let's move on to the transfers. The window is open, as I understand it, because it is January now. Um, and the first one we're going to talk about, which was revealed by West London Sport to be virtually a done deal apparently, but then there's some other things on Twitter that people are suggesting otherwise. Steve Cook, centre-back, Bournemouth, played over 300 times for them, could be on his way to QPR. How do What do we think of him as a player, first of all? Seems like um, a pretty... I've got, sorry, 
Jesus. Well, um, seems like a pretty good experienced player. Um, lo- loads of experience could definitely come in and help mentor some of the younger and not as confident centre backs. And especially as we're quite, we're going for a bit of a centre back demic, if you like, shortage of centre backs. We've got Dickie Dykes, no, not Dickie, not Dykes. Dickie, Dunn, Barbe are, are the only ones who are fit. Um, obviously, Device. Device has a severe chronic addiction to the treatment table, um, and I think um, I think we just I think we just need and obviously Marston being out on loan. I think we just need an extra face in the door to provide some healthy competition and, and as well prove his know how of over 150 Premier League matches down. And he he was a, he was a mainstay in the Bournemouth side up until the summer when Scott Parker actually throws him out the side but I think if we do get him it'll be a good signing if we don't I'll be disappointed but there, there are always other players out there that's for sure Dan what do you think of um, Cook I'm, I, don't, I don't know I'm, I'm a bit mixed opinions here I mean I can understand why we're going for it experience leadership I have some I have some doubts obviously big wages from Bournemouth also, the Barbe out of contracts. The thing that the thing that I'm a bit hesitant on is why well, we're probably not going for a bit of a younger, more progressive centre half. I mean, we've got Barbe out of contract at the end of the year, and Dicky, who's probably going to leave at some point in the near future. Um, so we're always we're already going to have to stack up on centre backs generally in the future anyway. So I'm a bit, little bit hesitant as to why we're going for a, a 30 year old on big wages. I mean, I can understand the move. We're pushing for top six. We're trying to obviously get into the Premier League sooner or later, but it still doesn't fix our um, our pace issue at the back. Mm. Um, he is a little bit more intel- obviously experienced and intelligent, so he's he is going to be a bit more experienced in those counter attacking situations. But it doesn't strike me as a I don't know a signing that particularly suits our system very well. If that makes sense, maybe yeah, maybe I- I'm being too critical. I don't know. The, the, obviously, um, quite recently, you probably would have been aware of Steve Cook because of what he did live on Sky, the double yeah, block against Fulham, Fulham, which was yeah. outstanding defending. Um, just you know, which is kind of what he is, isn't it? He's a body on the line centre back. Um, I think you're you made a valid point. He's thirty. I don't know how injury prone he's been throughout his career. Obviously, over three hundred games for Bournemouth suggests that he's. Pretty decent, but having not played many games this season, I assume. I think he's played three, well, less than three full nineties. Is that the wisest thing to do to bring him in to replace an injury-prone centre back? And for an instant impact, well, in theory, at least anyway, we need someone that well can cover. Or do we think whatever. he goes straight into the side because he's going to be replacing Dunn if he goes in? Dickie yeah, and Barbe was... aren't going to be moving out of the side for him. No, because well, I, I caught I caught a little bit when we we were first interested. He played against Coventry for Bournemouth this season. They played a back three, and he played left side of the the three centre halves, and he didn't really look comfortable at all as as a left sided centre back, just positionally on the ball. Um, so centre back, he'll be a lot more a lot more suited. But I think I think Dunn's done done pretty pretty well for us in recent weeks. I yeah, I'm just a bit. See, this is I'm surprised. To, think about it. I'm really surprised that it's going to be a permanent move if what yeah. we're hearing is correct. 
he's on big wages as well yeah. for, for us at least well of course he is because he's been playing in the Premier League for years so Bournemouth mm. would no doubt have boosted his contract over a period of seasons yeah and realistically um, I know you, you. what you're saying is that looking for the future we'd perhaps want a younger more progressive centre-back I, I don't know it just it's it strikes me as a bit of a a bit, a bit of a weird one. It's, it's a bit sort of McLaren, isn't it? A bit sort of team of men. Well, no, yeah, I'm just, I'm glad I'm not the only one that's having a bit of a mixed views on it because we put it on our group chat, didn't we? And obviously, the majority of the people said it's a good sign. And I was a bit, a bit taken aback by it, if that makes sense, just because. Especially if he's going to be, I don't know how long the contract's going to be. Probably two um, years, something yeah, like that. It can't be that life. short, can it? It's got to be something. It would have been the classic two years with an optional third, I reckon. Even still, like, why would you go for the optional third? Because he's going to be thirty. I don't know exactly when he's going to turn thirty-one, but he's going to be getting to the wrong end of his career. He could turn out to be a fantastic player for us, but for someone that is going to come in on on a potentially permanent basis, our back three centre backs are pretty settled at the moment, and they've all done pretty well at individual points throughout the season. We would agree that Dunn hasn't been bad enough to warrant being dropped. If he comes in on significant wages to just sit on the bench and occasionally play, unless he's going to genuinely rotate the back three, I don't know. It's It, it seems strange. It really does. Also, I would have thought also, they would have gone for a loan. Get him in yeah. a loan, I'm happy with it. Also, I think I think the, the, the experience debate, I mean, I take, it, I take it on board. He's going to add experience. He's going to add some sort of quality, but have we got, didn't we just bring in experience in the summer? I mean, Johansson's been promoted at this level. Austin's been promoted at this level. Barbe's experienced enough as a leader. Wallace. I mean, we have, we have experience in our ranks. It's not gone. We've gone from being a quiet aside to, right, we still, we still are quiet at points, but we, we are, we are a bit more of an aggressive, it's aggressive not side. In that. Last season, is it where the only no. real, experience was Jeff Cameron perhaps no, exactly. like Tom Carroll yeah you know now so those not, players have so... moved on I don't think it's the experience is necessarily an issue because our part of our the positives about the side is that it's young isn't it <laughs> like that's yeah yeah that's one of the many good things about us I was actually shocked to hear that Bournemouth were letting him go I thought he'd just finish his career there to be honest uh, he's like he's fourth fourth choice center or fifth choice center back at their um at their place so and then they, because he's been such a good servant to them, I think they're willing to let him um, have first team football. Yeah, because he's, it's not unlike Scott Parker, is it, to take a fan favourite and not play him, perhaps, as much. Uh, yeah, Mitrovic. Mitrovic last season. Obviously, but, um, he's not quite Mitrovic level, but no, it's, no. Sort of, it's not unusual for Scott Parker just to sort of decide. And the other thing as well is that, um, is it Lloyd Cully they've got as a centre back there as well? Yeah, yeah. He's been heavily linked with Newcastle because of links of Eddie Howe. Yeah, and that I would mean, be that would make more sense than them signing, say, Trippier for some reason, um, <sighs> considering they're probably still going to get relegated. And Lloyd Cully is perhaps a Championship player, so if they lose him as well, because you know if if Newcastle are coming in for a, one of your players you take as much money off them as possible don't you and Bournemouth aren't going to say no i just true, i just thought true. it was a strange one even if he is fourth choice i thought he would be you know 
they could very quickly run out of options at centre back. Yeah. Well, I mean, um, I don't know if you mentioned, but obviously, did, did you see the news recently of uh, Forrest? Yes. Nothing. For, yeah. Forrest so he might not. As well. I, I don't even know what's going. We, at, at this point, we don't really know what's well what's going on. Earlier on, West London Sport said that we are set to sign him and that there is a deal in place. Um, usually they are quite good with being accurate and they don't normally say that sort of stuff if it's not true. So I think Sean Gallagher made a joke about Cook or so it may, yeah. um, about us cooking in the transfer window. But the thing is, Sean Gallagher isn't actually a journalist anymore, is he? No, no, I don't know. So I don't know how in the know he is, whereas obviously West London Sport is still closely linked to the club. Yeah, that's true. I, I at this point I would be taking anything Sean not not in an in a malicious way here, but I don't know are they is he still got is he still asking like about sources inside the club? It'd be seem a weird thing to do. Mm. Um Anyway, moving on, we've got another one. I think, Dan, did you put this one in the group chat as well? Yeah, I think so. I think so. So um, there was a journalist who covers uh, Bristol City called Gregor McGregor. And honestly, not making that name up. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's quality. Very inventive name. Not honestly, he's a real person. He's verified and everything. Um but apparently we're in talks to bring in Casey Palmer from Bristol City. Again, this is going to be potentially another permanent deal, um, which I have the same issues, really, with the Cook deal. Slightly younger, obviously, by five years. 25, well, um, sorry, he's been on loan on a few the, times. Just on the deal, um, it might not be a per- permanent straight away. It could be a loan with an obligation. Right. But obviously it's similar, similar type thing. But they were saying so that they want to get him off the books season. so they can get another striker in, don't they? Yeah, they they've got well, they must they have the financial issues, then they come out like within the week, and then they're apparently they're ready. States. They're ready to let go Wells, their left back to Silva, and a few other players. That they're they're just getting rid of everyone on big wages. Yeah, and then obviously they've got Nigel Pearson as well, who I can't imagine is on small wages either as a. <laughs> Former Premier League manager, no way is he going to be on light wages anyway? Probably not. Um, yeah, Palmer, he was one of the many youth prospects at Chelsea that was sent out on loan, uh, to the likes of Huddersfield, twice Derby, Blackburn, and Bristol City before signing for them for 3.42 million. He was then sent out on loan last season, I believe, to Swansea from Bristol City. Was it last season? Mm. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think so. Uh, overall. In the championship, in 134 appearances, he has 14 goals and 10 assists. Um, pretty modest returns. Uh, he's also a Jamaican international, which you know I'm sure that will please Micah uh, to add another Jamaican international to the ranks. But yeah, what what do we think about Palmer? Obviously, his cover for chair. We've mentioned it already that you, Dan, you'd perhaps like to see two attacking players in this same sort of form of. Mm. Chair and Willock. The thing is with this as well is sort of I was expecting us to sign a loan player if it is going to yeah. be, you know, mm. it would make more sense for loan to buy because we would then have four attacking midfielders in the squad if we bought him when Chair I comes think back. If, if it's a loan to obligation, basically that's just a permanent before you buy, isn't it? Yeah. Basically. Yeah. But, that's it. 
Go on, go on. No, sorry, go on. It just like it sort of seems counterproductive because I think I've brought this up a few times. Um, you can't have too many really good players in a squad. Basically, you've got to have different levels of player. Otherwise, it just becomes unbalanced, and everyone becomes unhappy with the amount of game time they're getting. Because it, unless he performs really well, when Chair comes back from Afcon, he's going back straight into the side, and he Palmer would literally have to score every game for him not to come back into the team. Mm-hmm. So yeah. then you've got Palmer and Thomas. We're already on limited wages. We're bringing in Cook as well, potentially. Do we really need another attacking midfielder? Probably not. Um, mm. I can, I, I'd echo what you said about the loan, the uh, loan signing. I think I've put it on the group a few times. I quite like the, um, the look of that guy from Brighton, Taylor Richards. I'd have taken him on this uh, short-term six-month loan. And also, we're in a bit of a, um, not a sticky spot, but in terms of we're, we're, we're competing for the playoffs and then we don't really know what's, if we do get to the playoffs, we don't really know what's going to happen after that. If we were to go up, obviously, it, it's probably more um, less less likely at the minute. But um, do we really want a permanent Casey Palmer on top of Chair Willock in the Premier League? Because we're probably going to have to, buy in the Premier League if we're there it just doesn't really mm. a, a loan just a loan without a buy would just make sense for the, for the club as a whole and for the squad for next <laughs> season anyway yeah. yeah Lucas what do you think oh um, it's, one's a bit of a sticky one Casey Palmer's been coming up on my timeline quite a bit I think um, while I would prefer Wells who wouldn't I think um, I think it'd be a, a decent signing, especially for AFCON cover, because um, we are going to miss chair. Let's be for real. Um, and I think, as you said, chair will just come back into the side unless Palmer scores, unless Palmer turns into prime Lionel Messi and scores in and gets a goal and possibly an assist in every game as well. Um, so I think. It's a bit of a sticky one. Loan without an obligation to buy would probably be better for us. But I think I reckon we could well get rid of Thomas if we go, especially if we go up. I reckon I I can't see him lasting much longer at the club, especially if we get promoted this season. <laughs> I see I see Dan's not happy with that one. <laughs> of course he isn't. Um, but I think it's 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 complicated. I think we could do something similar to what we did with Field last season. Loan with an obligation to buy if he makes X a number if he makes X number of appearances. Um, I think I'd like um I'd like to see that and see how it'd work out. I think it'd definitely be interesting. That's for sure. That's the thing. I think it would be counterproductive because eventually we'd have to sell like Thomas or something like that. Especially you know, especially if we get into the Premier League. If we get into if we're staying in the Championship, then you could justify them all sticking around. But who's going to leave if we're signing someone? If we literally just sign Palmer, we're not going to sell him. So um, it would mean Thomas going out of the club, which I know, like we've probably covered, has would appease a lot of fans. But he's not had a fair crack at it. So yeah, I think we will say for both of these players, we're a little bit unsure on the deals. Not necessarily the worst if it was just a loan. Basically, I think that's what we're saying for both of them. Um, so with time rapidly running out on this Zoom call, we've got two more things to cover. I think you remember at the start of the podcast, here's, here's your chance to impress me with your trivia knowledge. Who is going to be joining up with Aussie Kakai? I haven't got a clue. I haven't even thought about it. Go on, Lucas. 
Um, Stephen Corker. You looked it up, didn't you? Um, no, I, I, I genuinely <laughs> saw it. I genuinely saw it somewhere on my Twitter yesterday. Oh, I did see it on my Twitter. I didn't know he was going to Sierra Leone, but I saw he got called up to Afcon. But no, yeah. I didn't. Stephen Corker is Corker. So is he eligible for? He's clearly eligible, isn't he? Yeah, he's in Must the squad. So Imagine a back line of uh, Corker and Kaka. Well, he is a right-sided centre back, oh. isn't he? I don't, True. Yeah. Uh, he's playing. He, he played well for Turkey, apparently. But that's all I know. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. So with Stephen Corker, of course, Afcon coming up soon. It's I think it's all on Sky or something like that, and BBC have a couple of games. We're disappointed to know that uh, Tarap isn't in the Morocco side, so we don't get no Chair and Tarap link up. But you know, I think I'm certainly going to be tuning in to watch Chair a lot of the time. In Aussie fairness, as well. Hakim Ziyech, Hakim Ziyech didn't get called up. Yeah, well, that's a big win, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, I've yeah. always said that Ziek is worse than Chair. Yeah. <laughs> well, just, I don't know, whatever. Uh, Birmingham, then. What do we expect from them? Um, they've lost a few. Well, obviously, it's, it's, hard, it's hard to say, firstly, because obviously, I think they've had their last two or three games called off because of COVID. Um, Lee Bowie has apparently only been training with 10 players over the last, like, um, two weeks or so. One, I think one of them being uh, Jude Bellingham's younger brother. So we could see a few... Sorry, how ten... young is Jude Bellingham's younger brother? Uh, I think he's 16, 17, something like that. Reminds me of... Um, um, I'll look him up. Have you ever seen Blackadder? No. Oh. Well, there's a, there's, a good, there's a really good... There's a good joke in there about a he's, prime he's minister oh, being, 16. like, really young and then, like, his younger brother being an MP, being like six years old or something like that. That's how um, I imagine it. So like, yeah. But um, yeah, they've got they've got players coming back from from COVID who probably haven't trained. Um, I think some of them trained just today. Um, Hogan's touch and go. Um, Sod's law, he's back back and scores. Um, I, I think they obviously got thrashed by Blackburn before COVID. Um, so whether or not they change the system again, we it, it's hard to it's hard to predict what they'll do because of because of all the COVID cases. But to be fair, they do have some good good players in there, um, and they have lost one of their best players back to, I think it's called Charlotte in America, uh, Riley Riley McGree. Um, he was on loan from the MLS, and obviously their season's back and running soon, so he's gone from there. Yeah, so they're currently 17th in the table, seven wins in 23 games, and four of those four of those wins have come at home. So, you know, it's exactly what you'd expect team at the lower end of the table to be performing better at home. We did okay against them last time. Was it 2-0 at home, I think it was? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think it was a Ilias Chair Masterclass that day. So, you know... Ilias Chair Masterclass, Troy Deeney Howler class. <laughs> Someone's got a, a feel... Phil Ilias is right. Well, I, I guess he's probably they're not large boots, I imagine. Um, <laughs> Phil, Phil Ilias's boots, let's just put it that way. I don't know what that was, that was an awful joke. Awful. <laughs> um, yeah, so I was going to say, who's their main threat? Is it Troy Deeney from the penalty um, spot? How many goals has he got he, this season, actually? A few, um, I think. A few. He played, I, I caught their game against Millwall a few, uh, the early December and he played in the, in the number 10 row actually he wasn't too bad to be fair um, it just it just depends because obviously they've got Dini and Jukovic are quite similar profiles of striker 
Mm. Um, and obviously Hogan kind of Hogan suits them running off running off from um, more direct balls. So I don't know. I don't know really what what system or who's going to play to be honest. But um, they've got that Ivan Ivanson Sinchich in midfield, Croatian. Yeah, quite uh, paid quite a lot. Of, paid quite a lot of money from a few years back. He's a good good um, central defensive midfielder. Uh, Lucas, just lastly, would you make any changes from the side that we put out against Bristol City? Obviously, I'd play chair if he's fit, but probably not. He's probably going off to Af. Is he got no? No, he's, he's going to el- play after. He's going off. He's Monday. eligible tomorrow. Right. Okay. Fantastic. So we're really he's fit? setting he's fit? start. Chair fit. Oh, did you see what Ch- um, Warburton said about um, Jordan Archer? <laughs> I did, I did, I did. That's very harsh. That's really out of like character for Wolves. He basically went, um, losing Senny Dieng is going to be like a big loss. <laughs> and then straight away he went, oh, no respect to Jordan Archer. Archer. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay. Hopefully he can prove him wrong. Yeah. To be um, fair, Archer in pre-season was like a, I don't know, he was, like a, he was, a, what, he was a wild, wild keeper. Yeah. He Especially was better in the league, in the league cup. <clears throat> he, was, he showed better yeah. form there. I remember... Or he played all right. Yeah. I, I think it is a big loss. play against but, Oxford, you know. those who went? Possibly. I wasn't went at that game. So. I'll, I'll, damn, was you at that game? No. I wasn't like COVID. So, no. The other thing to bring up here is uh, if you have Instagram, go on to Stephanie Hansen's uh, oh. profile. He's oh. done a Twitter reveal. Uh, sorry, not, not what am I talking about? A gender reveal for his... Because uh, his wife's expecting uh, his daughter's reaction is hilarious. <laughs> it's brilliant. Crisis, I kid you not. Oh, she's in such a strop oh. that she doesn't get a young sister. <laughs> it's brilliant. Uh, so if you need cheering up, just go and watch that. It's so funny. <laughs> um, but finally, just to round this off, predictions, please, gentlemen. Starting of you, Lucas. Oh, I'm gonna go with. Um, I'm gonna say history is gonna repeat itself, and we're gonna win two 0 Two 0 from Lucas, Dan. Uh, I'm gonna go two one. Two one. Okay, and I've got a last minute winner. Fantastic! I've gone with one nil. Um, so that is the first podcast for 2022 done and dusted. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, thanks a lot to Dan and Lucas for coming on. And we'll, we'll be back shortly with uh, yet another podcast discussing more room, transfer rumours, reviewing games and generally talking utter tripe about Queen's Park Rangers. So thank you very much. A happy new year and see you next time.